Welcome to the Shades of Hope podcast. This is a frank conversation between two friends who care deeply about the case for racial justice as it's presented in the gospel. In this podcast, we'll cover where racial justice shows up in the Bible, why it's important for pastors to be in conversation, God's urgency for this work, and how the church can start conversations for the work of racial justice. Well, once again, hello everyone. We are so grateful that you have once again, or maybe we have some new listeners. I don't know, Pastor Jeff, that have tuned in to our Shades of Hope podcast. You and I have been having a ball discussing this very difficult conversation around racial justice and racial equity as it relates to how churches and Christians ought to participate in this movement. I'm here today, Pastor Clarence Seymour of the New Every Church here in Indianapolis, and my good friend, Pastor Jeffrey Krzyzewski over there at Common Ground is here with us. And so, Pastor Jeff, why don't you say hello to everybody once again? Hello, hello. Welcome. Yeah, it's great to be in this conversation with you, Pastor Moore. I appreciate your inviting me into it and for the grace and the patience that you show as we make our way through it. It's just been a blessing for me to not only have a space to have this conversation, not only to have a friend to have this conversation with, but now someone who I consider to be a mentor in pastoral ministry. And I just really appreciate the relationship that you've allowed to blossom through not just this podcast, but just through the time that we've been able to spend together. So thank you very much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's a humbling uh, thing to hear you say. I was just talking to a group of individuals that are teaching all across America in various institutions this conversation around race and racism. And what they said to me was, Pastor Moore, what's missing from the conversation? White evangelical pastors. And I thought, wow, they are already diagnosing that in order for us to be able to really have a fruitful dialogue when it comes to this conversation, that we need to have our white brothers and sisters who are leading churches to be at the table. And so I'll say this, you are in the minority as it relates to really being at the table around the conversation. And so I want to say that to you. And I believe that your voice will help lead others from the white evangelical world to get an understanding and to be more amenable to this kingdom work that you and I have engaged in around bringing our churches together to deal with this sinful condition. And so I ask you, why are churches so segregated in America from your perspective? (laughs) That's a big question. (laughs) Uh, I can ask you some hard questions. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we're segregated. I mean, this is an oversimplification for sure of the reality, but like we excluded African slaves from full participation in the church. From the very beginning. From the very beginning. Yeah. I mean, we wanted to do our due diligence to save them, but we did not 
want to bestow upon them their God-given dignity as fully human with us. And so we created a way to separate you from, from full participation in the body of Christ. Yeah. I appreciate you. Give us a bit more historical significance when you look back at the genesis of the church in America. What was that like? I mean, I know we had to sit in the balcony, couldn't sit on the main floor. And when it was time to vote for a new pastor, uh, we couldn't vote for a new pastor. At some point in time in our historicity, uh, the slaves could not even assemble and have their own worship services. We had to come to the white church. We had to sit in the balcony. So from the very beginning, yeah, go ahead. Well, and I was just saying, in addition, didn't we create a slave Bible for you to use? There were only certain parts of the Bible that we would allow you to read because we were very afraid of the parts that spoke about freedom, that spoke about the dignity of every human. We didn't want that piece to wow. be a part of your formation, but you got the pieces that we thought were helpful in controlling you you know, and the thing that is really horrible about it is that we were using God as the slave master. Yeah, absolutely. And the misuse of scripture, like you alluded to, creating a slave Bible that left out liberation, but encouraged subjugation and segregation, degradation. I mean, you name it. It all was a part of the genesis of the church. And that is that is something that many of my white brothers and sisters may not be cognizant of. This may be news to them that from the very beginning, the church perpetuated this segregation. So uh, I appreciate you sharing that because I'm sure they teach you that in your seminary. (laughs) They did not. Well, and I do think that there is the dark side of segregation, of the intentional dehumanizing of Africans in the church. But then there's also this beautiful, redemptive protest that arises out of that. I mean, the Black church arises and then thrives very early on out of that. Absolutely. And establishes themselves as a very powerful force in North American Christianity back in as early as the late 1700s, early 1800s, right? Just coming out of Philly? Exactly. Absolutely. Yes. And you had great pastors beginning movements like the African Methodist Episcopal Church started as a result of the slave saying, hey, if we're going to be treated as second-class citizens in God's church, then we need to separate ourselves but we can enjoy the, the holistic freedom uh, that comes from being a child of God. So, yeah. Across America, churches begin to spring up. You probably have been in some cities that are called Second Baptist. Well, Second Baptist was birthed because First Baptist wouldn't allow African Americans to be fully active members of their congregation, so they would often create a Second Baptist. There's so much rich tradition. I mean, so today we sit here, and you pastor a predominantly African-American church, and I pastor a predominantly white congregation in a city that has diversity. It's not because there aren't people that live around us that aren't like us. It's because we've become generationally so ingrained with the arrangement as it is. Yeah. So I'm interested in hearing, just even from your perspective, is that okay? And... (laughs) 
is there anything we should do about this or what are the benefits? What are the, what are we missing? Yeah, it's so characteristic of America. I often get a chance to speak in school systems. And if I go into a school, into the cafeteria to get ready to, to do my speech and I see the dichotomy there in the cafeteria, all the black students are over here and all the white students are over here. And you have a small pocket of some pepper in the salt section and some salt in the pepper section. But I saw that in schools. And so it's perpetrated throughout most of the institutions. I would say this, I don't see anything wrong with hanging out with people where you feel comfortable as long as you are okay with the other people that aren't like you. If you hang out in those circles in an all-white church because you feel superior than those that may be on the other side of town, then that's where God begins to, I think, not be pleased. But I don't think, Jeffrey, that common ground church that you pastor, a new era church that I pastor, haven't necessarily come into one big family in order to please God. I think we can have some unity with uniformity. If I can maybe say what I heard you say is that there's some things about the traditions that have arisen because of a very bad situation that aren't necessarily, they don't need to be thrown out. Right. You know, if we could go back all the way to the beginning and start over again, then we could have experienced a much richer, diverse, beautiful expression of the kingdom. And while these things that we're doing are really important, we could potentially miss the deeper work of racial justice if we just think that having a diverse worship Sunday gathering is the end goal of what's going on. That's a great point. And I think that God is calling us to go deeper. I think just because I sat next to a Black person at church doesn't move the church to the place that I think God wants to to see us move to. But again, I don't think necessarily that I have to all of a sudden have a bunch of white members for God to approve me as a pastor. As long as when I go into Common Ground and some of the other larger, incredible white ministries that are around us here in our great city, that I go in with a loving spirit and I see them as my brothers and my sisters, even though I fall asleep sometimes in their worship services. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I, I, I don't hear an amen. I don't hear, oh. you know, <laughs> but I, I'm okay with that. You know, I don't know how some of you guys sit in your churches and don't have somebody screaming, preach it, say it now, hallelujah, something like that, right? And that's okay. You know, when I go to the ice cream shop there at Baskin Robbins, there's what, 30 something flavors, probably more than that now. And so my wife likes strawberry and I like butter pecan and she's happy and I'm happy, but it's all ice cream. Hmm. And I, I'm okay. I don't think we have to necessarily have a multicultural or multi-diverse church to please God. That's okay. But I think God looks at the hearts of the people. You know, that's my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think one of the errors in white evangelicalism, even a little more current back in the 50s and 60s, when the church growth movement took off, 
we sort of doubled down on this homogeneity. And there was actually a professor out of, I think, Fuller Institute, maybe, and I'll butcher this a little bit, but he came up with this idea of the homogeneous unit principle, which was that the gospel advances faster if it is transmitted in as similar a culture person to person as possible. And so the idea was that if we wanted to get a bunch of people saved, the easiest way to do that is to create homogeneous churches so that you weren't having to work through culture and the differences, socioeconomic differences and all of those, that we could more rapidly grow the church. I think the fallacy in that is that we've reduced the gospel to something that's so small that we lost the beauty of the gospel of relationship. Absolutely. And so we took out the beauty of the diversity as a part of what the kingdom of God is. And so when we traded in the deep relational work that happens and the difficult relational work that happens when we are with people who are not like us and we traded that in for souls being saved, yeah. we were okay being homogeneous. And I think that was an impetus of the white evangelical church when we were eager to build big churches. And you know what? It worked. You know what we've got? Yeah. A very, very shallow expression of the body of Christ. Yeah. And I don't think we undo that just by, like you said, putting two churches together. That's not going to undo that. But I think the more we think about how we got here, maybe the pathway to a, a new sort of expression of the church might reveal itself. Yeah, and that homogeneous reality, again, in itself, it's not sinful, but it's not the most healthy environment when it comes to the movement of the kingdom of the kingdom of God. And I think one of the reasons that the white evangelical movement has unfortunately, not all, embraced white nationalism and it's causing a ripple effect that I think is going to negatively affect the church as we go forward because we can't take the flag and the Bible and somehow equate the two. We must always make sure that our standard is God's word. And God's word is very clear that he's no respecter of persons and that there should be no group of people feeling superior to another group. And I think because of the problem we have in America, you know, Dr. King called it the most segregated hour in America is the 11 a.m., which is an indictment on the church of Jesus Christ. And because that segregation is the result of an unhealthy environment here in America. And so we all know, you and I talked about it before, is that they were first called Christians in Antioch. Mm -hmm. And that church in Antioch was a very diverse people. And so why did they get the designation of Christian and not the Jewish church in Jerusalem? So I think there is some aspects of God's heart to make sure that the church is a replica of all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so if he loves the world, then he wants us to be able to love our brothers and sisters, no matter their culinary taste, 
or their cultural propensities, or even where they might worship, that we still love one another. And so, Pastor Jeff, as we were dealing with this whole thing of multi-ethnic and multicultural and whether or not that is the new movement in America that pleases God, and you and I have come to the conclusion that God is pleased with that, but he's just as pleased with those congregations that may be homogeneous when it comes to ethnicity, but still have the right hearts toward people who may not look like them or people who may not be in their particular ethnic group. It all boils down to the heart. I do want to say, though, here at New Era Church, as we are looking at the demographic change of our neighborhood, gentrification is taking place. Those that were part of white flight in the 40s and 50s, their children and grandchildren are migrating back to the downtown area and the inner city. It's happening all over America. And so, therefore, our church, which is 98% African-American, is now beginning to see those walking through the neighborhoods around the church. And so we're starting to think, you know, how do we begin to make sure that our church is still appealing to all of our neighbors, regardless of one's ethnicity or social standing. But I do have to say this, that there is a fear among some of our parishioners that if we're not careful, we will, we will be overtaken and that those that do have the power could come in and take away some of the autonomy. You know, for a long time in America, the only place that a black man could be a man was in the black church. You know, that was his dignity. He could walk in and be somebody. He could dress up. And to some extent, that safety valve, that place where we come and we soothe each other's burdens and we encourage one another to go back out into this world that is dominated by white dominance. The black church has been that place where black people could go and exhale and be themselves. And so we don't want to lose that either. And so that is a real fear. And so as a African-American pastor, I want to be evangelistic and I want to make sure that we understand. But there's no such thing as being colorblind in America. Unfortunately, this system in which we are all trying to navigate is stacked with certain structures. And so I do want to make sure our listeners understand, though, Pastor Jeff, where you and I stand. Could you just repeat your thoughts as to whether or not a church could be 99% white and yet still be a church that pleases God's heart when it comes to racism and those kinds of issues? Yeah, and I think it's a similar starting point, but the, the pathway is different. I mean, I think for us, we have to reckon with why our brothers and sisters don't want to lose their safest space on Sunday morning. Yeah. Part of it's because we've created unsafe spaces in all of their Monday through Friday. Yeah. And so I think if we're willing to do that work, if we're willing to sit in the pain of that reality, that the only place that, you know, sometimes our coworkers, our neighbors, our, you know, even friends that we know really well feel really safe is when they're in their church on Sunday mornings. And that here's the thing that really, I think a light bulb just went off for me. And that is the fear is that if we were to, and by we, I mean, if white Christians were to start entering into that space, the fear is that we would take over. Whereas in my situation, the congregants in my church are probably most concerned that influences from other ethnicities and cultures 
are going to just kind of alter the way that we do things. Yeah. But we don't have the same fear that people are going to come in and take over. We're in charge. Yeah. But how far do we have to bend to make this thing feel welcoming? And I think there's just two very different starting points in terms of how we understand the implications of a conversation on integration. Yeah, I can completely understand the position for your congregants and how they would not want that to be taken away and how that the assumption that it would be taken away if white people enter in is a real fear and that has historical precedent that is a real thing to be concerned about as a pastor. Absolutely. And what you and I are doing, just as I hear often people say that American democracy is a great experiment that is still in process. I think what you and I are doing is a great experiment of how a predominantly white church and a predominantly African-American church can start down a road figuring out how to be ourselves, but yet create an environment where the love of Christ overrides all of the biases and all of the cultural misinformation that we're all trying to navigate today. This is a great experiment. And I pray that as you and I are are continuing this, going down this road together, that we'll look back in five years and we will see that we've made some progress in this community in which both of our churches sit. That's my prayer. Conversations like this help us, they allow us to have some really frank, but yet, I think, sacred conversations that helps us get there. I'll give you the last word for this time together. That was a pretty good last word. I'm also grateful and hopeful as to where this leads us. And I think not having a destination is probably a part of the beauty of this. We're allowing the Holy Spirit to kind of direct how we should go without any sort of goal in mind. And and I think when we do it that way, it gives us the opportunity to care for our people in the process, that our congregations are made up of like real people who are trying to love Jesus and love their neighbor. And I think this is just another aspect of us being able to provide opportunities for that to happen. So thank you for your trust in us in this journey. This is an ongoing conversation. We're in process. And we really just wanted to take some time to think about what it means for us to be worshiping communities and whether or not there's one particular way to do it or if there's lots of different ways to do it. And I think what we're trying to encourage is to be faithful to the congregation in the space that God has called you to, while at the same time paying attention to the work of racial justice, regardless of the community that you find yourself in, that we can all be very engaged in this without having some kind of preconceived notion as to what the demographics of our church are going to look like at the end of it all. And we can leave that up to God and honestly to what he will do as we are faithful. He will be fruitful. Thanks for listening. We'll continue the conversation. Pastor Moore, thank you. Thank you, my brother. Thanks 
for listening to season one of the Shades of Hope podcast, part of the Center for Congregations podcast network. If you like this episode and think it would be helpful for others, please take a moment to rate and review it on iTunes. Pastor Moore and Pastor Jeff will be back to kick off season two with more helpful insight, engaging questions, and as always, frank conversation about what it means to get serious about racial justice. Make sure you subscribe so you're notified when season two launches later this fall.